0: Welcome back to the Injury Prom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Porras, Doctor of Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst, FantasyPoints.com Physical Therapist for the Minnesota Twins. Gracias por tus oídos. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in again. I want you to please subscribe to the newsletter at the top of my Twitter at fbinjurydoc. Go there. Try to subscribe to that as soon as you possibly can. In fact, pause what you're doing right now. Pause this podcast. Go subscribe to the newsletter. That is where a lot of your money is gonna be made. So far, we have a handful of stash candidates in addition to the timelines, to the summary. It's basically everything you need to know about every injury when it comes to skill players in the NFL. It's everything you need. So please go subscribe to that and also rate review the podcast. We would really appreciate that. We're gonna do something new and exciting today. I'm gonna answer mailbag questions. If you have mailbag questions, send them to InjuryPronePod pod at gmail.com. We are going to answer a couple of those today to see if we can help some more general basic strategy for fantasy football. And we'll still, of course, loop in some injury related questions. This first one is from Camille. She says, love the newsletter. Appreciate that. Hope you're doing well in life, love, fantasy and all other endeavors. This is my first year in fantasy. I'm 5 and 1, but steadily declining in points week to week. I have the San Fran defense and they're pretty banged up. I know people stream defenses, but is it worth it to hold on to them as their defenders heal up or should I abandon ship? Hopefully this makes sense. Keep on crushing it. Camille, since you said this is your first year in fantasy, I think that this is a really fun opportunity to talk about some of the things I don't think the general community discusses enough, and that's just general strategy. Strategy is one of my favorite topics in this game. Fantasy strategy is how you win your championships, to be frank, and it sounds like a lot of things are up in the air. I don't know how experienced the rest of your league is. I don't know a lot of the context and the fact how many other league mates you have. I don't know what the waiver wire looks like. I don't know your waiver wire rules, but I will say from a general strategy perspective, streaming defenses is going to be your best bet. I stream defenses in the lone league that we have defenses in, and they tend to be pretty successful. Since I started reading the Fantasy Points streaming IDP content over at fantasypoints.com, and since I started listening to Living the Stream, a podcast with Denny Carter and JJ Zacharyson, those two resources alone have allowed me to avoid A negative defensive scoring week, I think for several years going. I mean, I've definitely had some low scoring weeks because defenses playing defenses sucks, but I've definitely have avoided those big, massive negative scores. At the very least, you can get those tough weeks. You get a zero with using those resources again. That's fantasypoints.com go to the streaming defenses and IDP content there. And then of course the live in the stream podcast is always a really fun podcast where they actually discuss streaming defenses, quarterbacks and tight ends. But yes, to answer your question, I do think that you should definitely start streaming defenses. But again, I'm answering this question without more context. Generally speaking, that should be something that you do. If you have to start a defense every week, this next question, the last question we'll answer today is from Ryan. Ryan says hello Dr. Porras, first of all, thank you for being so accessible and interactive on social media. I was wondering what your thoughts on Jonathan Taylor and Monroe St. Brown as they come back from their ankle issues, specifically ARSB as I'm more willing to sell him high. How likely are these injuries to decrease their productivity the whole year? I know the first couple of games back tend to be decreased compared to a player's average points per game. Thank you. Yeah, Ryan, this is a really good question. And again, just like the last question, it totally depends on how deep your benches are. Do you have IR spots? Do you think that you can get another replacement player of that caliber on the waiver wire? How experienced are the rest of your league mates? There's a lot of context that I don't have to answer this question. So I'm going to try to answer in generalities. What we know about Jonathan Taylor's ankle to begin with is that it was a lateral sprain. In a worst case scenario world, Jonathan Taylor suffered a very similar injury to Saquon Barkley. That's very possible. That's very plausible, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. If he did, then we know that his productivity is going to go down. We know that his explosiveness might be limited. And we understand that he's going to have a very limited rest of 2022. When it comes to lateral sprains though, that typically doesn't result in a massive decrease in productivity. So if it tells you anything at all, I traded for Jonathan Taylor before week six, and I'm happy with that decision. I have no problem living with that. Typically lateral sprains don't cause a long-term decrease in production in running backs. We also know that if we look at just week seven, these are really basic, straightforward stats and they're not the best stats in the world, but I think they tell us a little bit of something about Jonathan Taylor and his recovery. He still only played about 55% of snaps when he has been playing up to 77% of snaps in the games before he got injured. So he only played 55% of snaps, which is probably planned but he did average 5.8 yards per carry, which is his second best mark of the season. In addition to that, the most targets he got in 2022 before he was injured were seven in week one. His first game back in week seven, he saw eight targets. So Jonathan Taylor isn't necessarily a guy that I think is going to suffer from this ankle sprain. I think he's a guy you definitely want to hold. And if you do get rid of him for any reason, it should be for another top five to 10 position player, but I wouldn't get rid of him. But here's the thing. I wouldn't necessarily get rid of Monroe St. Brown either. Monroe St. Brown, is in a ridiculous, ridiculous role right now. He's seeing targets when he's healthy at an insane rate. He's putting up production that you see from a top five receiver. He's a guy that you definitely don't want to get rid of just on a whim. So yeah, his first game back, he was definitely limited. But if we look at another guy who also had a high ankle sprain in T Higgins, he looked limited in week six as well but it was less limited than it was in week five. And in week seven, he actually had a touchdown called back. So we're all sales ahead with T Higgins. And if we assume a St. Brown also recovered from that high ankle sprain, and we also got word from Dan Campbell that he is not actually in the concussion protocol, then we can confidently say that we don't want to sell Monroe St. Brown for pennies. Those are two guys I would hang on to unless you can get another top five position player back. These aren't guys that I want to sell based on their injuries, based on their specific situation. So I would just hold tight if I were you. So if you want one of your questions answered, send them over to injurypronepod at gmail.com. Non-start sits, doesn't have to necessarily be about fantasy football or injuries in general. Um, And if they're good questions, you can send them over to injurypronepod at gmail.com. And if they're good questions, then they might just get read and answered. So we'll start with the injury breakdowns with the unfortunate news According to Ian Rappaport, Brees Hall did in fact tear his ACL and he had minor meniscus involvement. This is a very, very similar case, very similar injury that Saquon Barkley had in 2020. What we can expect from Brees Hall is a full complete recovery by 2024 and he'll start to show flashes in 2023. This is not a reason to fade brees hall quite yet there can be associated complications there can be issues that arise between his surgical date and week one of the nfl season but he is not a guy that you want to fade because of the talent because of the opportunity that's going to be there for him this is a very very similar situation that saquon was in before 2020 saquon did say himself that he didn't feel fully back in trusting his knee until two years removed from the injury but saquon still looked good in 2021 in that first year back, before he rolled his ankle, of course everything went downhill from there. But remember, he was the RB nine from weeks one through four before that injury. So don't count Brees Hall out yet. We can expect about a ten to eleven month recovery from the date of surgery, not the date of injury, the date of surgery. So as soon as we get that surgical day, it'll be over at Injury Insights at FantasyPoints.com. Make sure that you're staying up to that. Brees Hall, again, is going to be a bounce back candidate for 2024, but do not count him out for 2023 quite yet. We will keep up with this all summer, of course, but make sure you keep an eye out for when his surgical date was so you can start counting the days back. As of now, we're projecting the soonest he would return is August. More realistically, we're probably looking at a mid-September, early October return for Brees Hall, depending on when his surgery is. And the last thing I want to address as it relates to this situation with Brees Hall and really any player that's injured and is out for the season is that they're droppable. Don't waste your roster spot on a guy like Javante Williams. And this is in a redraft, by the way. Don't waste your roster spots on Javante Williams, Trey Lance. Don't waste your roster spots on Brees Hall. Unfortunately, these guys are done for the season. Use that IR slot to stash guys, for example, that are always sent out in the injury prone newsletter. Every week you get a new stash and we're running out of stashes. We're at the middle of the season, but make sure that you are clearing those benches. Don't hold guys that are done for the season in redraft formats. Let them go. Put a little lottery ticket on the bench as opposed to holding on to these guys. So now we'll get to the main entree, the meat and potatoes, if you will, the exciting portion of the show, the reason why you're here. We are, of course, here to talk about Mike Williams. We'll start with Mike Williams. First of all, Adam Schefter confirmed that this is a high ankle sprain. They didn't put a timetable on it. They said that Mike Williams will miss, quote, Mm -hmm. some time. Now, if we're looking at the data since 2016 for pass catchers who scored at least nine points per game, we actually see that they only miss an average of one game. You saw that with Amandra St. Brown. You sort of saw that with T. Higgins. These guys tend to be able to bounce back quicker and or the team pushes them to come back, whether they're ready or not, let's be real. So what we see with Mike Williams in particular, though, is when you spread it out from since 2016, all the data for pass catchers in particular, not just the ones who average more than nine PPR points per game, all pass catchers have missed three games or three weeks. Totally depends on the bye week. Chronologically, though, they miss about three weeks. That standard deviation, that's about 17 days. So, in other words, they miss from 21 to 38 days, or they can miss that long. Of course, the standard deviation works the other direction as well, but based on what we know, based on his pain response, based on how severe the injury looked, and based on kind of everything we know about how painful these injuries are, it's probably not going to be any less than at least one week that Mike Williams misses. For now, the median is also 18 days, so for now, we'll plan on him to miss anywhere between three and five weeks. That is... What we would expect for Mike Williams. We assume that there are no fractures involved. There are no dislocations involved. There's no additional ligament damage. We assume that. We can't always assume that, and it's not necessarily right to assume that. But based on what the team is giving us, based on what we know from Schefter, we're going to assume that this is a run of the mill grade two high ankle sprain. And if we operate based on that data, he's going to come back. And then the first week back, he'll see about a 20% decrease in production. And maybe he might have another five to 10 decrease compared to his season highs. But the floor here is that his injury is as bad as Michael Thomas's was in the year 2020, and he eventually needs surgery. We hope that's not the case. We hope this is more of a Jerry Judy from 2021. Well, we don't even hope that it's a Jerry Judy from 2021 because Jerry Judy's production suffered significantly. We hope that he's able to get over this in the first place without any fractures is the point that I'm trying to make. So Mike Williams, plan to be without Mike Williams for at least next week, and then they have their bye week. That third week is when the realistic window opens for him to return, but again, Don't necessarily plan on it. Plan conservatively and make sure you have some other options because Mike Williams has been an absolute monster this year for everybody involved. This is really unfortunate. We hope Mike Williams can bounce back in the near future. The next guy we're going to talk about here is, of course, D.K. Metcalf. D.K. Metcalf's mechanism of injury looked extremely scary. It looked like an ACL tear. We'll be honest, but that is why video is not diagnostic. But luckily, he did not. Have an acl tear x-rays were negative mri was negative for an acl tear p carroll came out he said specifically dk metcalf has a patellar tendon injury let's explain what that is real quick the patellar tendon extends quite literally from the patella so the kneecap and connects onto the tibia the shin bone that tendon is extremely strong and it's meant to help extend the knee because of that tendon so what we see here essentially is a traumatic injury of that tendon it's not so uncommon. We see tendonitis all the time. People get anterior knee pain all the time. People get Achilles tendon pain all the time. It just doesn't always happen because of trauma or any type of force, but that is what happened to DK Metcalf. So what's next? Based on precedent, we know over the next two to three weeks, he's going to have the worst pain dysfunction issues at that specific location. And he's going to undergo rehab. He's not going to have surgery, which is important to mention, but he's going to need a lot of work. Again, Pete Carroll's already come out and said that he's going to need quote a few days to rest. I wouldn't anticipate DK Metcalf is going to play this week. I think that we might not even see him over the next couple of weeks. So this is something to keep on your radar in terms of how is he going to get through it? I think he's going to play through it. I think we can expect when he comes back some decrease in his performance because he's going to be playing through pain tendons take 12 sometimes 16 weeks to truly get back into shape and get back to where they are, where they were pre-injury. So this is something that he's going to battle the rest of the year. This doesn't necessarily make him a sell for now for now. I'm going to call him a hold, but this is something that he's going to have to deal with over the next several weeks to months and in the right spot for the right price. I would maybe try to move him as long as we confirm that he is back in the next couple of weeks. But for now, he's a hold. All things considered, this could have gone way worse for DK Metcalf. So we're happy for him. We're happy for the Seahawks. And at this point, we're going to want to hold to see what happens with DK Metcalf. Don't expect to see him in week eight. So if you want more of a breakdown on guys like David Njoku, Keenan Allen, make sure you go to fantasypoints.com. You go to the Injury Insights tab. That way, you know exactly what you're going to get with those guys. And for now, the transaction, I've been giving a lot of acquisitions. Hasn't happened for Chris Godwin yet, but he's been fine. Last week's was T Higgins. T Higgins got a touchdown called back. He could have had an even bigger day. Um, He still finishes with a decent fantasy football day, but it could have been a lot bigger. He had a kind of rough call, not go his way. Could have had a touchdown on a 22 yard reception. So T Higgins working out so far. I think you should continue to target T Higgins. This next guy, Gus Edwards. A lot of people have been asking me, what's my outlook on Gus Edwards? What do I think of Gus Edwards? What's he going to look like? I think Gus Edwards can be fine. I think Gus Edwards is a guy who had two touchdowns yesterday though. And I think Gus Edwards is a guy who averaged four yards per carry and had just one target in week seven. Yeah, of course it was just his first week back. But if you are planning and banking on two touchdowns every week, for Gus Edwards, I think you're going to be fairly disappointed. Right now is probably the highest you can sell Gus Edwards for. He had a pretty complicated ACL tear himself. He came out and said that he also had extra ligaments that were damaged. So your transaction this week is to get rid of Gus Edwards. Make sure you get something good back, but that's about it again. Make sure you subscribe to the newsletter. Make sure you are following me on Twitter at FBInjuryDoc. Rate review the podcast. Go to Injury Insights for more details on all these other injured guys. Thanks.